to bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be more room and there will be there will not be room enough to store it. How many of us are doing that? How many of us took Gary's challenge? How many of us want those blessings? As Gary said, that's the only place in the Bible where the Lord says, test me in this. So good morning, Action Church. So today we're talking about the next steps of your finances. What to do after you've built your emergency fund, what to do after you've paid off your debt, what to do after you've gotten your budget in line, and it's basically working the way it should. So as Gary's been saying for the last three weeks, very few people want to hear about money in church. They don't want anybody to know about their tithe. They don't want anybody anybody to know about their offering. They don't want anybody to know about their debt. They don't want anybody to know about anything that they're doing in church. They want that to be private. So make it private. Make it private. Let it be between you and the Lord. Still says in Malachi to test me. So let me tell you about David Westrick's story so you all understand what not to do. So uh, I know you all don't think I'm this old, but I graduated high school in 1981, June of 1981. So in December of 1980, I turned 18 years old. And back then, you could get a credit card. So I had my first credit card before I had graduated high school. I hope all y'all understand that's a recipe for disaster. So I'd already bought a car radio because you got to have a car radio. I'd bought some t- a TV for my room. And the best part of all is I learned about cash advances. Now, do y'all understand about cash advances? You can get the money you don't have now, so you can spend it now, so you can pay for it for the next 20 years. That makes a lot of sense. But if y'all didn't know about cash advances, they're awesome, because you can spend money right now. So they're great. Back then, I could use it for important stuff, you know. Taking out girls. Going with your friends to Six Flags. I mean, that's cool. And that's 18 years old. I was cool. I had money. So let's fast forward 10 years, because I know y'all don't want to hear about 81 to 91. It wasn't that great. So let's fast forward 10 years. So guess what? I had more credit cards. Because you got to have more credit cards. Especially if you're getting cash advances because you got to get the next one so you can pay off the last one. I'd also bought a couple of cars by then. Bought a house. And everybody needs a boat. Especially when you can't afford the credit cards, the car, the house, you got to have a boat. That just makes sense, right? 
That's logical. Because everyone has to know have to have stuff. So from 1981 to about 1994, I had amassed $275,000 in debt of some sort. $275,000. Now, of course, that included my house. And everybody knows a house is a good investment. Only problem with that part was my house wasn't worth $265,000. So I only had $10,000 of other debt. My house was only worth about $185,000. So in my $185,000 minus $275,000, Westrick had accumulated $90,000 of debt to impress all y'all that didn't even know me back then, who didn't even care. But I was cool because I had a boat. Now, I don't know if y'all know this about owning a boat, but if you own a boat and you take it to the lake, it requires gasoline. So you take it to the lake, it requires gasoline for it to operate. So you can get a cash advance on your credit card and you can get some gas so that you can drive your boat around because that's cool. That's not how it worked. My life was literally miserable. I couldn't sleep because all I was thinking about is I don't think anybody's giving me any more credit cards. Because I have too many already. My life was in that place where all I could think about was that debt. How that debt was bogging me down. How that debt was, I mean, it was consuming my ever being. I mean, I was 100% completely, completely broke. Y'all remember in Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Hopefully not anybody else knows this, but I was 100% slave to the lender. But here's the cool part. I want everybody to know the good news. I want everybody to understand the good part of that. So let's get to the good part of this. God has a plan for your life. Somebody didn't say, hey, hey, God, did you know Westrick's in debt? $275,000? He wasn't shocked. But what he did do is he did show me that there was one way out. There's only one way out. That was to trust in him. Trust in him for all the things he'd already given me. You remember what Gabe preached? You get to use 90%, he gets to use 10%. It's all his anyway. So he'd already given it to me. I was just a terrible steward of it. I was a terrible steward of what he had given me. Think about it, he'd given me 90% to use and 10% for him, and I couldn't even do that. Actually, I was using about 120%, and he wasn't getting nothing. I probably got that extra 20% on a cash advance. 
So about this time, somewhere in 94, 95, I had met some people, and they began to love on me, and they began to talk to me about these things. So I started attending a class over at First Baptist Woodstock and started to learn about my finances. And then I started to teach about my finances. There's nothing much more hypocritical than standing on stage telling people about you know, your finances when your finances are terrible. But I did start to learn about the different principles about that we're talking about in this series. But the bad part was, it's like five years later, Westrick's still in debt, still has credit cards, still probably getting cash advances because somebody was stupid enough to give him one. Still had stuff that didn't make any sense. Like Gary says, to impress people that you don't even know. But as I started to build an emergency fund and I started to apply the principles, I started the debt snowball, started tithing. Wasn't time for investments yet because (laughs) at that debt, you don't get out real quick. So it really wasn't time to invest any of your money yet. It was time just to get your mind right, to do things that you need to do to trust in God that he has a plan. So what did I do? Oops, I got to turn the page, sorry. So let's review some of the principles that Gage talked about. We talked about having your emergency fund, so the first thing you need to do is get a $1,000 emergency fund. Gary said this last week, and I believe it's true. We all have $1,000 of stuff laying around our house that we can do without. If not, figure it out. Figure out how to get your emergency fund. After you get your emergency, after you get your emergency fund built, and what that is for is to cover just minor things. Just the minor things. Have a flat tire. You pay to get that tire, you can get it fixed. Those kind of things. Takes care of your minor debts. So after you've saved up $1,000, then you establish your monthly budget. Monthly budget is very critical to this step. Getting your monthly budget and understanding where your money is going could not be more important. Most people have no idea where their money goes. So if you don't know where your money goes, you don't know how to save it, you don't know how to do any of those things. So you got to figure that out. Gary talked about every dollar. Sierra uses a sheet of paper and a pencil. That's how Sierra keeps up with our stuff. Sheet of paper and a pencil. Nothing fancy, sheet of paper and a pencil. You want to use every dollar, use every dollar. If you don't, don't make it an excuse why I, can't, I couldn't get every dollar. Well, you're right, you can't. So get your piece of paper and a pencil. The next step is the debt snowball. The debt snowball is where you start to apply as much money as you can to pay down and pay off debt. So Gary went into this a little bit last week, but I want to kind of go over it because I want everybody to get this principle. It's very important. 
you do not care what the interest rate is on your smallest debt. If it's 200%, you still do not care if you've got a credit card or whatever that you're paying 200% on. You want to start with your lowest balance. Your low, the very lowest balance you have. So let's say you have you owe $500 on one of your credit cards. And that is your lowest balance credit card. You start to pay it off using that extra little money that you have over here in your budget. So if you were paying $50 a month, and you can add another 50 to it, now you're paying off that credit card at $100 a month. Now, don't be confused that they're still going to take some of it. So you're not applying $100 to your $500. Your, your $500 is, your $100 is only going about $80 worth because the rest of it's going towards interest, fees, whatever. So don't be confused that you make five of those payments, all of a sudden that card's gone because it's not. That card still exists and it still has a balance. But it's so important to do this this way. I don't know if y'all know about Dave Ramsey, but Dave Ramsey will tell you that you can't ish. You can't ish it. You can't sort of do it. You got to do it. So you take that and you pay off that first card. Now, the reason you want to start with your lowest balance is because you want a victory. Think about how cool it would be. You're in debt. You owe $90,000. In heaven, I hope nobody owes $90,000, but if you do, you do. You want to take that card, and you've paid it off. Now, here's the hard part, especially for somebody who had the habit I had. You cut that card up. Take your scissors, cut it up. Don't freeze it in your freezer so that you're not going to have to use, that you got to unthaw it before you're going to use it. Because I don't know about y'all, I had no problem. It's easy to put a bag that is frozen in a, in a pot that's got boiling water in it. It don't take long, okay? It's not going to talk me out of spending my $500, I can assure you. So after you pay off your first card, you were applying $100 to... You take that, add it to whatever you were paying on your second debt, and you start to pay that card off or that debt off, whatever it is. And you do this, and you go on and on and on until you get to that place where all of your debt is paid off. And everybody says, well, you know, my mortgage is this however much money it is. Well, think about it. If you're applying seven or eight hundred dollars to the bat to the principal of your mortgage, even that starts to go down fast. It's amazing how fast that can go down. Don't know how many of y'all have a mortgage, but if you've ever taken your monthly payment and multiplied it by the 30 years you will find out that you paid a lot of money for your house. That is not the goal. That is not investing, just so y'all know. That is paying more money than you should. With the debt snowball, 
you can start to build some equity, and then you get your house paid off. Now you have real equity. You own a $200,000 house, and it's paid off. You have $200,000 of equity. It's a very, very liberating feeling, I promise you. So everyone needs to know how much I completely understand exactly how difficult this is. In 1994, I recognized I had a problem. In 1996 or 7, I started to work on that problem. I probably could have solved that problem by 2000 or 2003 or 4. None of those things happened. (laughs) I want y'all to understand how clearly David Westrick understands how difficult this process is. I completely get it. So in 2015, several years later, Sierra and I finally became debt-free. We came debt-free for one reason. Or we didn't become debt-free for one reason, obviously, was, was David lacked self-control. Can't blame it on my wife because she's got better self-control than anybody I know. Since I've been married to Sierra, I have more money than I've ever had in my whole life because she won't give it to me. Um, <laughs> she doesn't believe in cash advances. <laughs> but I lacked self-control. I had taught to students and to people what God's word said about his money. We have talked about over and over and over, God's word speaks about money more than anything else in the Bible. So he knew that there were people out there like me that were not going to pay attention. It says so in the word. So again, trust me when I tell you I completely understand. But hopefully, with these teachings for the last month, um, y'all will be able to learn from the mistakes that I have made, Gary has made, I'm sure some of you all have made. Y'all will be able to learn from that. So in Proverbs 25, 28, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Without a doubt, my personal walls were certainly broken through. A better way of saying it was my personal walls were broken down. I had no personal walls. I had no self-control. If I wanted it, I went and got it. People used to say that. Well, yeah, if David wants it, he just goes and gets it. What people didn't know is, yeah, he went and got it because he went and got a cash advance, and he went and bought it on some money that nobody, that nobody knows about because we're too prideful to say, hey, I'm stupid. We're too prideful to say, hey, that's not how to do it. So last week, I thought it was kind of cool. Gary was preaching, and my wife knew what I didn't. Sierra knew I was preaching this week. And she reached over and she wrote down Galatians 5, 23 to 23. 
But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and that stupid word, (laughs) self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I thought it was kind of cool that she reached out and wrote that because you that are involved with somebody who is equally yoked to you, they understand what your shortcomings are. My shortcoming is definitely self-control when it comes to money. I like to have things. There's no doubt about that. I love to have cool stuff. But I will tell you this, since I've gotten to the place that I am now, the thing I love the very most is being able to give to others. And I can only give to others because I'm free of debt. So before we get get into the investing side of things, let's discuss those few extra steps that we haven't talked about yet. Emergency fund for $1,000. Start our monthly budget. You do need to maintain that monthly budget through this process. Do the debt snowball. All right, so now you're through the debt snowball. And I understand, this isn't next week. This is a period. You're through the debt snowball. You need to now really have an emergency fund. And Dave Ramsey says an emergency fund is three to six months of whatever your finances require to run your household every month. So if you've been working through this budget and you understand, hey, it costs two grand for us to run our household, everything, no matter what, your power, your electric, your your uh, gas, your everything. How much did how much does you know Bubba drink at the at the quick trip or whatever? You know what? Whatever it is, that's all got to be in there. So if you do, if that takes two thousand, then Dave Ramsey feels like and and you know you got to understand about Dave Ramsey and he'll say this in one of his videos. He says, "You don't have to do it the way I said. It's not required." However, we've helped millions of people do this. So you don't have to do it this way. I'm just giving you an idea. But you need $6,000 to $12,000. Now, the cool thing is, when you're debt-free, it don't take long to get six dollars to $12,000. You're not making a house payment. How long would it take you to get $12,000 if you weren't making a house payment? And it would not take us long. So for the spenders out there, like David, your emergency fund is not for the next new gun that comes out. It's not for the next new toy, whatever that is. It's not for a cool vehicle, even though that'd be cool, because we know that uh, one of us who preaches wants a new truck. (laughs) 
does not for that. And for you ladies, it's not a new purse. It's not new shoes. It's certainly not a new wardrobe. It's for real things. What if one of your appliances goes out? Appliances are not cheap. What if your HVAC goes out? What if you have a, some ha- something happens and you need a new roof? You know, roofs do wear out. <laughs> Crazy as it sounds, people think that roofs last forever. They do not. They do not last forever. What if your car died? It, there's no value in getting out of debt to get back in debt. That is probably the most important part of the principle. After you're out, don't get back. Now, you can rest assured it took me a long time from when I understood to when I did. So you can rest assured I got back in debt several times. I bought more cars. You can rest assured of that. And I bought more toys. I probably even got some more cash advances. So this next step, let's, so th- this is the next step before, you, before making sure you can invest and give. So what's investing? Proverbs 21.20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp down their, but fools gulp theirs down. So the wise have an emergency fund. The wise do save for tomorrow. The wise keep a portion of their earnings for giving. Earlier, Gary preached about the, uh, the parable of the talents. Landowner was going away. He wanted to trust his servants with uh, some property. So he entrusted the first one with five talents. He took those five talents, he went out, he grew those into five more talents. Another servant, he gave two talents. That servant took those out, figured out how to grow those into two more talents. He gave one guy one talent. Took it, dug it up, buried it in the ground, So the master came back and said, so what have you done? First guy comes up and says, hey, I took your five and I've grown them into five more. Other guy comes up and says, hey, took your two and I grew them into two more. Third guy comes up and says, well, I I didn't know what to do, so I I just buried it. So here's your one talent back. So the question becomes is which do you want to be? When you're serving the Lord, which one do you want to be? You want to be the faithful or the squanderer, if that's a word. Gary makes words up all the time, so I can. In Luke 12, 48, it says. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. 
from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I, how cool would it be to be asked to be entrusted with more? And think about it. The guy who had five talents, he grew those five into five more. The guy who had two grew those into two more. The guy who had one didn't grow his at all. Assuming everybody gets the parable there of he entrusted one with a lot and he got a lot. So which one do you want to be? Do you want to be the squanderer or do you want to be the faithful? I want to be the faithful. So so as mine and Sierra's investments have grown, I figured out that there's no answer for anyone. No one investment that I can say, hey, go do this and this will work. But I do want to share some of the wisdom I've learned from God's word, from learning from men like Dave Ramsey, and then other friends that I know that I want to emulate because you watch them and you watch their walk and you know they are doing well. They are investing well. They are giving like nobody else. If you want to find somebody to emulate, find somebody who's giving. Most people are not going to give if they're broke, I can promise. Most people are too selfish for that. I don't mean any disrespect to anybody. Most people are too selfish. If you're broke, you're not going to give. You may act like you are, but you don't. So the first thing, and this is very important, don't invest in things you do not understand. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 say, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. How many of you ladies would like for their home to be filled with rare and beautiful treasures? How many of you would want to be able to freely give if needed, no matter what the size of the need is. How cool is that? Wouldn't that be cool? So investments come in all sizes and shapes. There's no one person that invests the same But the key to understanding investments is, like I've said, learn from someone who knows. So if you have a 401k at your work, I encourage you to give the maximum amount allowed in that 401k. But I also encourage you, because every 401k has an administrator, and they understand how to invest. So I encourage you as well to learn from them, to speak to them, to understand what they think and learn from that. Do your own research, but learn from that. It's very important. If you don't have a 401k, because I know there's a lot of hustlers here, you can do the exact same thing in an IRA. Go to your local bank and I encourage you to go to a local bank where you can build a relationship and 
It's, you can start to have an actual relationship with your banker. Again, I want to invest in an RA. You all have a specialist? Oh, we do. Let us introduce you. Speak to them. Learn from them. Figure out what to do. Because David Westrick can't tell you what to do because I've screwed it up. I can promise. But somebody, there are people who can. If you invest in property, reach out to a realtor. Learn from that realtor. There are realtors that will be more than willing to help you. If you have friends that invest, talk to them. Don't be a stupid man. It's okay. It's okay to ask for advice. So don't be stupid because we know men are stupid and we don't ask for advice. It is okay to ask. Do it in private. Go get John Little and say, John, we got to talk and go talk in private somewhere. Nobody knows. In my opinion, there is no investment you can invest in that someone is not available to help you. So don't be that person. Number two, don't put all your eggs in one basket. How many of us have heard this before? How many of us as moms or grandmoms told us this exact thing? Son, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yes, ma'am. It'll be interesting to most of you because I think most of us know that our moms or our grandmoms are much more versed in the Bible than we are. In Ecclesiastes 11.2, it says, Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. As you can imagine, mom and grandmom, they knew a lot more than we do. They've read this. They understood it. I do agree with Gary. The Bible is not tough to understand if you read it. When my, uh, when my dad passed, I was gifted some money from his inheritance. And I had no idea what to do with it. I never had, you know, any, like, cash just come in that was just cash. So I took this $25,000 and I gave it to one of those investor guys. And I didn't know what to do with it. So he told me what he was going to do. So I went and I read and I tried to understand and I tried to see what he was doing. And, and to be honest with you, I got, it's like six months in and I could never figure out what was going on. I mean, I could never figure out, okay, if we bought Home Depot and it went down, I lost money. If we bought Lowe's and it went up, I made money. But then there was this big announcement that Home Depot was, you know, they were going to they were going to do 100 times better this year than they've ever done before and their stock went down the next day. It's like I can't figure this out. I'm not that smart. I can't figure this out. So I took my money back out. <laughs> I'm at least smart enough to know if I can't figure it out, I'll not be in there. So I bought my very first rental property. You know why I bought my very first rental property? I could walk down the street. And I could touch it. I knew what it looked like. I could go see it. I could drive by it. I basically knew what it would take to maintain that investment. 
I basically understood what I needed to do. So I felt great about that investment. After a period of time, I was able to buy another house. And I'll just tell you, and I please hear my heart. I think y'all understand this. I'm not bragging, but Sierra and I have been blessed that we own four rental properties now. I'll tell you that to brag. I'll tell you for any other reason except for to show you that the plan does work. The plan does work. But remember that little thing that happened in 08 and 09? Remember how bad everything crashed? Well, you know, when you only own real estate, when your best investment is in real estate, eh, it may have gone down a little bit. So what would have happened had I kept some of that stock and also had some real estate? May have weighed out okay. Remember the point. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I do encourage you, though, if you're not putting them in one basket, make sure you understand what the baskets look like. But I would have been in a different place financially had we had a diversified investments. So the third and final point today is very important. Most people do not want to hear this, but it's true. Stop trying to get rich quick. I did not look up this statistic before I came up here. So I'm going to be like Gary Lamb. I'm going to make it up. (laughs) But I bet I'm close. 97%. Yeah, well, I did that just real quick. 97% of get-rich-quick schemes do not work. It's just not that way. 1 Timothy 6 through 9 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you all believe that David Westrick was in ruin and destruction in 1994? $275,000 worth of debt, 90,000 of it was unsecured. I didn't have anything to show for it. I assure you there were times in there, though, I tried really hard to figure out how to get rich quick. Bought lottery tickets, even. Because we all know that helps you get rich quick. So remember in the beginning of this series, Gary spoke, and he said that God's word speaks about money more than anything else. My encouragement would be to you all is to go look at those verses. If you didn't write them down, they're on the podcast. You can go back and listen. And you can even fast forward in between verses if you want to. I don't care. But it would. But you can read them for yourselves. They're there for your taking. They're there for you to hear. And I would encourage you to read that chapter. Read that chapter. Don't read that verse. Because we all know you can take any verse and make it into anything you want it to be. You can make it a good verse or a bad verse. 
Read that chapter. Learn what God's word says about money. God's word is full God's word is full of how he is trusting us, how he is guiding us, and how he's teaching us to use his money. We just have to listen. And I don't think some of sometimes I don't think we're good listeners. So just like the debt that we have talked about throughout the series, getting into debt, listen to me, listen to me, getting into debt took years. Getting out of debt takes years. Investing is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It takes years. Proverbs 13, 11, it says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Remember what we said, God's word is pretty clear. So I know Gary has given several examples, and I know you all have heard several examples, and I know you all have seen several examples of how to make your money grow. But I want to give you three examples, and I want you to listen to what I'm telling you, because I think people get hung up on, if you invest $1,000 a month for 30 years, well, over here, you're going to have two and a half or $3 million. And I really believe in my heart that most people say, There's, I'm, I can't do this, that's not going to happen, and this ain't going to happen. Because I really believe that's what people feel. I know it's what I felt. So I want you to understand, I want to give three examples, a small, medium, and large. So example one, if you start with a $500 investment, at age 40, because I figured pretty large majority of us are at least 40, and you invest $100. Now, $100, $25 a week, which means you can't go to Quick Trip every day. But I think everybody knows how to get $25 a week. And you invest it for 20 years. At the end of 20 years, it's worth $79,000. Oh, I can't live on that. You're right, you can't live on that, but who has $79,000 in their checking account right now? Think of it that way. That's achievable. That is 100% achievable by most people. It just takes trusting God. Let's grow that a little bit. Example two. If you take the same $500 investment, you're still 40 you invest an additional $500 monthly, that's harder. Now you're talking about $125 a week. Now it's harder to find that. But don't forget you've been doing this debt snowball and you've probably been using $500 to pay that down. So here's your $500. Do that for 20 years, that's worth approximately $384,000. Now we're talking about some real money. And we're talking about real stuff. For those young people in the audience, and I think it's important for young people to understand that if you start with no debt, then you have no debt. 
But example three, you take that same initial investment of $500 and you're 25 years old, and you invest $500 monthly, which is the average car payment, until you're 55, it'd be cool to retire at 55, wouldn't it? Worth approximately $1.1 million. Different people, all, those, all three of those, I feel like, are probably achievable. So instead of trying to get rich quick, maybe we should work on getting rich over time. And as you can see, the value is exponential. Let's pray.